Good morning, Mercy House. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here, and I think this is our fourth Sunday of a virtual uh, church. Uh, we are continuing in our uh, follow sermon series from the book of Luke. Hopefully you've gotten your Bibles open now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. And uh, we've been saying that Luke is kind of a back and forth between who Jesus is and then an invitation to follow him. Um, we've been saying that it's a giving up of our self-determination and letting Jesus determine our lives, letting Jesus have the power uh, over our lives. And you may be thinking, okay, I got it. Like, Robert, you've said that so many times. I, I get it. Check the box. Uh, but I think we, if we're honest, we have to admit that uh, it's hard for us to give power uh, of our, of our, over our lives uh, to someone else. And uh, we feel this right now, I think, more than ever. Uh, a few weeks ago, we felt fairly powerful. Uh, the economy was humming along. Uh, we, uh, most people were healthy, and if they were sick, they could uh, get some medical care and get better. Um, we could go to the grocery store without feeling like we were in the apocalypse. Uh, but now uh, we feel like that power has been completely stripped from us. We feel we see the economy tanking. We, we see people getting sick and, and some even dying. And it causes us to feel a, a tremendous amount of anxiety. And this is what happens when we feel our power being stripped uh, from our hands. And so no matter how hard we try to figure out the current situation or how many times we wash our hands or... Uh, whatever it is we do to regain power, uh, we're feeling ourselves out of control and out of uh, the usual power that we feel. And I think we're coming face to face with a reality that was actually always true, that we actually never did have any power. Uh, we were very limited in our ability to have control uh, over our lives. And if that's the case, then there's two options. Either life is just a chaotic mess, or there's something or someone who has power, who has uh, control. And so as we experience what we have over the last few weeks, I, I think the idea of God being in control, or God having power, uh, sounds a lot better than perhaps it did a few weeks ago. So in that vein, let's consider two questions. Uh, how can I know whether or not God really has authority and power over all things? And also, can I trust that he's going to use that power for good? So how can I know that he has power, that he has authority? And how can I know that he's going to use that control for good? I think there's some uh, stories here in Luke chapter 8 that answer that very question. Uh, there's four consecutive stories that Luke writes here that I think are uh, put together in a package for a reason that, that they all are pointing to some uh, similar truths. And so I'm going to read the story, brief, briefly comment, read a story, briefly comment, and then make some comments at the end of the four stories. So the first story, Luke 8, verse 22, says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they sailed... Uh, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And each of these four stories will have a dire situation, will have an experience of desperation, will have a display of Jesus' power, and we'll see the people's response to all of these things. Uh, this situation is dire. It is a deadly storm. It is a windstorm. Windstorms are tremendously chaotic. Uh, but not only is there wind, but they're on the water. So now you have a windstorm while you're sitting in a boat and experiencing the chaos of the waves. The boat is filling with water and it's going to capsize. Luke says they're in danger. So of course they're feeling desperation. Jesus is asleep. He's not feeling desperation, but the disciples are feeling it, and they go to him, and they have to wake him up. And you hear the desperation and the, 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 the master, master being said twice as if uh, Jesus is, is groggy and not quite uh, awakening to uh, the, the, the issue that they're facing. Uh, they say, we are perishing. Uh, they're saying, we're going to die. It's not if, it's when. And then we see the display of Jesus's authority. He rebukes the wind, and the wind submits. He rebukes the waves, and the waves submit. He rebukes the disciples. He says, where is your faith? Now, the jury is still out whether or not these disciples are going to submit like the wind and the waves. But it is a teaching moment, and it's Jesus' way of saying, here I have the authority over wind and waves, and I'm calling you to put faith, to put trust in me. The response is, they're afraid. The only mention of fear in the story is after the winds and waves are calmed, and their fear is of Jesus. I'm sure they were afraid of the winds and the waves. But Luke is intentional here of putting this description of fear after they've been calmed by Jesus. His point is that you should be more afraid of Jesus than you are of winds and waves. They marvel at this power that he displays, and they're curious. They ask this question, who is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Story number two, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. He fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, it was kept under guard, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and uh, he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart the, into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. And so he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus 
They found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the garrisons, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into the boat and he returned. It's another dire situation. A demon-possessed man, actually possessed by many demons. A Roman legion was about 6,000. So I don't know if there were 6,000 demons, but there was a lot of demons that had uh, demonized this man. He's not only demon-possessed, he's naked, and he's living in a cemetery. There's desperation. There's an, it's an absolute hopeless cause. They try to change him to protect him from himself and from others. He can't be restrained. He breaks the chains and he goes out into the desert by himself, alone and unprotected. He's isolated, he's tortured, he's endangered to himself and to others. Then we see the display of Jesus' authority and power. He commands the spirit to leave and the spirit doesn't like it. Remember, he commands winds and waves as well. The demons are calling out to Jesus. You are the son of the most high God. They know exactly who he is. And so we find out that this one demon is not just one demon. It's lots of demons. You'd think Jesus would maybe need some backup, maybe a few extra exorcists to come join him or an all-night prayer vigil. But this group of demons is no match for Jesus. They're begging Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. They're begging Jesus to throw, let them go into the pigs. And in seconds, the man is completely in his right mind, clothed, and conversing with Jesus. The response, people are afraid. More people come to see the man and there, seized with fear. It's the same kind of feel of the story of the storm. Jesus displays his power and the result is fear. Story number three, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had, he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though she'd spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you. They're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. It's a dire situation. This one is health related. She's been bleeding from her period for 12 years. Illnesses are dire. Chronic illnesses are very dire. She's had 12 years of weakness, lowered immunity, immunity isolation. There's desperation here. She not only feels bad, she's broke. 
She spent all of her financial resources on positions that did nothing for her. On top of this, because of the cleanliness laws of her day, she would not have been able to approach the temple for worship. The display of Jesus' authority and power is different here. There's no command like the storm and, and the demons. It's merely a touch of his garment. Jesus describes his, his, his experience of the healing this way. He says, power has gone out from me. His authority is so great that power seems to be oozing out of him and healing people. The response, more fear. Woman trembles. She falls down before him. But there's something more going on here than fear. We know this is from, from Jesus' comment. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Though she be afraid, she moves toward Jesus in faith. Story number four, verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. A, a dire situation. Jairus' daughter who was sick at the beginning of the story is now presumed dead. There's nothing more dire than death. There's nothing more dire than the death of a child, an only child in this case. Uh, the way it's described, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Your daughter is dead. There seems to be no remedy here, right, for death, or is there? There's desperation. When Jesus gets there where the, the girl is, uh, there's weeping and mourning. Part of Jewish tradition was to wail loudly with your voice and to beat yourself on your chest. It, it was the use of both the body and the voice to communicate the desperation of the pain being felt because of the loss of the loved one. The display of Jesus's authority here is stunning. He commands the little, uh, the little girl uh, to arise. But think about what he told them before. He commanded them, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. He said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. These were commands by Jesus. And the response of people, well, at least some, were to laugh. But then he backs up his claims of authority when he raises this little girl from the dead. Again, the response that Jesus is wanting from the people is given to us by Jesus. He says, do not fear, only believe. This is an invitation to move from fear to faith. Not merely to be amazed or curious, certainly 
uh, not to, to laugh Jesus off, but willing to trust that Jesus has authority over storms and sicknesses, over demons and death. And because he has that authority, we can trust him. We can believe in him. We can put faith in him. Luke's answering the questions that we posed at the beginning of this sermon. How can I know that God really has authority, uh, that, that Jesus has this authority? Is We see Luke rolling out these four stories. He's also answering the question, can I trust that he will use this power and authority for good? Again, these four stories say yes. It's Luke's way of saying, this is your king, the king over all things, the king who is all-powerful, and the king who is all-good. While these stories certainly prove that Jesus is powerful and he is good, there is more evidence coming in the book of Luke. As we said earlier, today is Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem to start his final week leading up to the moment where he will deal with the most dire situation of all. More dire than a storm or sickness or demons or death. Actually, the root of all those things. And that dire situation is sin. And so here Jesus has come in to deal with the dire situation of sin and the desperation that we as human beings have experienced because of that sin. He'll display his authority over that dire desperation by laying his life down at the cross to pay for that sin and then will rise up on the third day to display in an ever-glorious way that he has absolute power and authority over sin. So his message to you and me this morning, don't be afraid. Only believe. It is a command, and it is from one who has absolute authority, and it is one from one who has, is absolutely good. So let's look at some questions. Uh, you are welcome to send some of these questions in on the Facebook Live, uh, and I'm going to walk through some of these. A couple of these are questions even that I brought to the text, trying to figure out myself uh, as I read this. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, I, I believe this in my mind, but I still have fear. I think all of us this week, as we're reading news reports and thinking through things, we have fear. Uh, it, it, it wells up inside of us. Um, and I think one of, one of the ways to understand that is, is that true belief, genuine belief, occurs in the heart. Not just, not just the mind. It's not just something we agree with intellectually. It's in the heart. And the biblical understanding of the heart is that it is the center of who you are. This is the place from which your mind, your will, your emotions all spring out of. You may be uh, familiar with Luke, uh, Romans chapter 10 where uh, Paul writes, Confess with uh, your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead and you'll be saved. Uh, it's in, it's with, with the heart that we believe uh, the truths of, of the gospel to become Christians. It's also with the heart that we continue to believe uh, the hope that is in the gospel as we go through uh, day to day. It's what we're singing when we sing, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. We're saying, I believe in my mind and agree that Jesus is better, but I need grace in the power of the Holy Spirit to make my heart uh, believe. 
Another question I've had as I've read the text um, was, how does my belief in God's absolute power and authority affect the way that I pray? Right? Should, should I expect him to calm every storm, throw out every demon, cure every sickness, raise every dead person um, back to life? And I think when we read these uh, stories, we, we might think, oh, if I just have enough faith, that that's going to happen uh, you know, 100%. Uh, of the time, but the, the truth is, even when Jesus was walking the planet, he didn't heal every sickness. He didn't raise every dead person uh, to life. He will do that when he returns. Uh, he will make all things new. He will heal every sickness. He will uh, completely obliterate death. So these things will be taken care of. But in his wisdom, uh, he is going to intervene in some cases, in other cases, he is not. That should not stop us from going to him boldly and praying because we know he has the authority and the power to carry out the things that we're asking for. But we also don't go to him thinking, I'm entitled to a yes answer to my request. Uh, we come to him saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is uh, in heaven. Another question, uh, how does this comfort that we're getting from Jesus's power and authority, how does that comfort uh, a person maybe who's not a Christian? Maybe we have friends and family that we're talking to on the phone, having conversations with, and we as a Christian, we want to bring them comfort. Uh, does this play into uh, how we might comfort them? And I, I think it does. I, I think one is that you comfort your friends and family who do not yet know Christ with the ministry of your presence. And because you believe that Jesus is absolute authority and power, you have the courage to lean into situations uh, that you, just as a, a single solitary human being, would not have the courage to do so. So because you know, they may not know, but you know the power and authority that Jesus uh, has, you can lean in. But I would share with them your beliefs about Jesus's authority and his willingness to exercise that uh, with good. And as you, as you share that humbly with people to say, in light of that, I would like to pray for you. And so when you're praying, you're appealing to, to God's authority and to also his goodness. And so to, to offer to pray for them, even if they are not yet Christians, uh, but then also to share uh, with them uh, the gospel which is the ultimate way that God has used his authority for good, is sending Jesus to die on the cross for sin, to, to raise him from the dead, and, and to bring the remedy for the most dire situation that uh, is on the planet. And, and so if you're listening to this, watching this this morning, and you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to do so, to, to come to him Yes, realizing he has absolute authority and, and, and with a healthy fear. But just like we see the, the woman who had the issue of blood, she moves toward Jesus uh, even though she's afraid and she puts faith uh, in him and him alone. So uh, let's see if we have some other, other questions here. Um, how is the fear experienced by the people in these stories different than the fear of the Lord often talked about? In Scripture, all right, Gil. Good question. Um, so the, the the healthy fear, the sort of the fear of the Lord, we might say is more like a reverence or respect, right? So if you're a, a child of a parent, I know we've got some kids out there that are listening along, watching along with their parents. 
uh, that, that you would fear your parents in terms of respecting them, obeying them, uh, ha- having a, an, an awe for them. That's, that's, uh, that, that's the kind of thing that uh, is talked about when we talk about fear of the Lord. Um, I think one of the ways you know that, that your fear of the Lord is healthy is that you're moving toward him. So again, as we saw the woman with the issue of blood, she was trembling, she was afraid, but yet she moved toward him uh, in faith. So, good question. Thank you. Other one? Yep. Verse 56 says, And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. Why do you believe it was Jesus' response? Mackenzie. Yeah, good question. Thanks, Mackenzie. Um, so, you see Jesus uh, kind of keeping what's sometimes called the messianic secret, right? Like, uh, he doesn't want the word to get out, especially about these uh, amazing miracles, uh, because he is going to end up being the miracle man and nothing else. And so he's very wisely doing the miracles and doing the teaching in a way that, one, doesn't t- turn him into a miracle man, and two, doesn't have him on a rooftop saying, I'm the Messiah, and then everyone you know, getting upset with him and trying to throw him off a cliff, which happens uh, at one of the times when he tries to, to share that. So both in his teaching and in his miracles, he kind of has to keep them on the down low uh, and, and wisely kind of unveil them until his time is right. And uh, he goes to Jerusalem to eventually uh, be crucified and rise from the dead. So great. That's a good, good question. All right. Uh, how do you think in our current storm, in our time of desperation, Jesus will display his power? And how, as Christians, can we show this authority uh, to others? Uh, well, I, it's hard to know exactly what uh, Jesus is going to do in the midst of it. But what we do know is that he is going to do what is good, uh, what's going to bring glory to, to God. And so those, those two things are always going to be true about what he's doing. Now, are we always going to be able to understand, in particular, the details of how he plays that out? No. Uh, there's going to be some times when we, we look at uh, who he heals or who he doesn't heal, and we're like, why, Lord? And, and it, it, it's going to be hard to understand. I saw on the news yesterday a 104-year-old veteran who had uh, the virus who got, got over it. You know, and you're like, why a 104-year-old veteran and then this other person who's in their 40s? Uh, we, we don't know. But we know because of what Christ does for us on the cross that uh, he's good, and we know from the resurrection that he has authority uh, over sin and its effects. So we know we can trust him. Good question. All right, another one. Even the sick woman came to Jesus trembling. Do you think fear and belief can be compatible to some extent? Uh, I, I do, and, and, and again, I, I think... For many of us, uh, evangelical Baptist types, we don't have enough of a healthy fear uh, of God. We, we kind of treat Jesus like our buddy. Uh, and so we, we have this kind of too, too much intimacy and not enough of, of reverence. Um, and they're both, right? I think of the, uh, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush and God's like calling Moses by his name and saying, come here, it's very intimate. And then Moses gets to the bush, and he's like, take your shoes off, right? You're on holy ground. And it's like, which one is it, God? And it's both, right? And so 
there is, should be a sense in which there uh, is a healthy fear, respect, and awe, reverence, um, but also a drawing near in intimacy. So it's a great question. Thanks, Patrick. All right, in terms of co uh, comforting non-Christians with Christ's authority, what should we do if they don't choose to listen, but we still care for their salvation? Is there anything we can do? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, I think the, the ministry of presence that I mentioned earlier, um, just connecting with them, reaching out to them, um, and, and not being afraid of difficult situations. And as, as the weeks uh, roll by here, that there are going to be more and more difficult situations. And, and as Christians, we should have the courage to, to lean in and uh, to, to pray with people if they're willing to be prayed for, to share truth with them if they're willing. Uh, but I think oftentimes the best policy is, is just ask for permission. Um, say, can I pray for you? And if they say no, say, okay, fine, but I'm still your friend and you're, you're still leaning in. And then ask for permission. You know, I, I, could I share with you some of my beliefs about who God is? I think this would be helpful for you right now. And if they say, nope, then you're still leaning in. You're still um, being willing to, to have a, a ministry of presence in their lives. It's good. It's a great question. All right. All right, Austin's going to come over and uh, he's going to lead us in a time of prayer. Thanks.